0: Welcome to a weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Hope you all are having a lovely Sunday. I wanted to talk to Dave Bittner this week of CyberWire because the CyberWire family of podcasts are my go-to source for keeping up with the security space in general. And I'm glad I did get to speak to Dave because he's a super knowledgeable pro and we get into things like those huge credential dumps recently, password best practices, and that Triton virus that has me so worried. But we started off by going on a weird tangent about Facebook, where I somehow found myself arguing for Facebook for some reason. And we ended by going really off the rails and talking about the Fermi paradox and aliens. It ended up being a really fun chat, I think. Please check out the CyberWire podcasts podcast wherever you get your pods enjoy I guess what everybody uh is talking about today vis-a-vis Facebook is that they say they've got to set aside x number of billion dollars to pay an expected FTC fine and yet the stock uh goes up and investors are cheering Uh, um I'm not surprised by that are you I'm I'm not surprised by
1: it but I would say I'm disheartened by it um that, that is the that is the cold calculation that is made uh, by investors these days that uh, I guess removing uh, consideration of whether something or or not is the right thing to do. it's really how is this going to affect our bottom line? And, and I suppose you could make arguments that 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 is what they are supposed to do. but uh, just you know for me personally, um, I find that a little bit uh, distressing.
0: Well, I mean, you—it's kind of you have to understand the psychology of the investor class, and and it's all about okay, uh, you know, removing risks. Unknown unknowns and things like that. So essentially, what what Facebook telegraphed is the size of the fine, so that in an investor's mind, okay, this is a quantifiable thing that I know about, and so mm. it's not an unknown out there. So right, that's the thing. You, yeah, you, it's it's in, it's instructive to, to know these things about investor psychology, so that even if a company um, announces horrible losses or something, if if investors didn't know the size of that loss, just knowing. Um, you know can send a stock up even if it announces something horrible
1: right now that's an excellent point removing some of that uncertainty um, it puts them at ease
0: yeah and then you know also given that you know on the on the day that they announced um, record q1 uh, revenue it, it if if the fine does come down in the neighborhood that they're telegraphing well it's a drop in the bucket it's easy to handle
1: right. And again, I think that's one of the, the frustrating parts for folks who would hope that these sorts of fines could, could cause change. Uh, does this hurt enough for Facebook? Um, and we saw um, a story in The Washington Post this week that uh, Senator Wyden, uh, he's a Democrat from Oregon, he's... Um, He's a ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee. He's been talking about going after Mark Zuckerberg himself, making him individually liable for some of these privacy violations. That's interesting in itself.
0: Yeah, and there has been talk, too, about um, it was either the FTC or the Justice Department that was looking at past statements and things like that um i don't know i I don't know why all of a sudden i'm finding myself like playing devil's advocate here but i you know the argument can be made that we are already seeing change it's just not the change that would give you catharsis where you know oh i come to you uh palms turned upwards and and i'm sorry for what we've done in the past and we're going to shut down these lines of business that you think are creepy no they're changing to, in theory, a different business model of just messaging, encryption, and privacy, and all that stuff. Again, it might not give you the catharsis you want, but it is change, right? Do you? Well, I, it's change if you believe that
1: they're actually going to do that. Mm. And I'm not convinced that they are. At this point, um, I have trouble believing anything that comes out of Facebook because just living in a evidence-based world that, uh, you know, that time and time again, uh, every time they say they're sorry, you just wait and the clock starts ticking and uh, news breaks about some other privacy violation.
0: Yeah, but okay, so you're definitely in the camp then you're saying of people who are like, well, this is all just a bunch of PR friendly smoke and mirrors to buy time to keep doing what they've always done.
1: I suspect that's the case, yeah.
0: So that, again, this is funny. I can't believe that I'm on the other side of this right now. <laughs> well, why, um, what What makes you think, what, what makes you take that side? Why do you one, think it could happen? The one thing that I have 100% faith in, it's that, that, Mark Zuckerberg has always based running this company 100% on metrics. Like in my book, I I, there's that famous anecdote that like early on, like in the first couple months of running the company, they could tell with like 90% accuracy if two users were going to be in a relationship or not just based on like the interactions that they saw on Facebook. Mm. So I believe 100% that they're seeing. Um, overall usage declining. And again, that's not borne out in the actual like, uh, daily or monthly active user numbers or anything like that. But they will know sooner than any of us, they will have known for maybe two years now that the average people in North America are sharing less using less time spent on less, they can see the data that and and he's been very public about this about that things are moving towards stories and and things like that. Um, So I do believe that he will always skate to where the puck is going because he has that information sooner than anybody else. Hmm. Um, It just so happens that if I don't know for sure that we'll end up in the business model that they're describing, moving to more of a a messaging based company, more of a everything behind encryption company. that, uh, that just so happens to dovetail with things that buy them a, a little bit of PR. And just so happens, if that was the business model, it would be harder for people to blame them for stuff. Um, but also, I do think this is the thing that put me over the edge with this. Mm. I believe that their um, experiments in crypto are real. Um, and they can see again. At, uh, Zuck always looks at all the competitors. Sometimes he, you know, buys companies so he can spy on other competitors and see, see what's popular. They're looking at all these super apps. In China and Asia, where everybody is living their entire lives inside the apps, and it's your, it's where, how you get around, it's how you do your banking, it's how you do all your buying. And so when they talk about, like, on the earnings call, that, like, in the future, the majority of our revenue could come from commerce, I think that that's skating to where the puck is going.
1: Hmm. I think that's interesting and, and I'll, I'll share a, just another personal anecdote you know earlier uh, this week in fact um, I saw a friend of mine on Facebook someone uh, who I went to college with you know she was raising money for uh, a nonprofit something that she supported and uh, she said uh, you know please help me with this and I thought well that's something I'm interested in and I'd like to I'd like to help my friend and I clicked through in it and uh, it was Facebook asking me for my credit card information mm. and I stopped short and I said the last thing in the world I I'm going to do is share my credit card information with Facebook now that, that's just me and uh, you know ba- you can tell based on our conversation that you know my hackles are a bit up when it comes to Facebook but but I wonder I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that you can't underestimate that trust is a component in how much people are going to allow Facebook to uh, have their Access to so many different parts of people's lives. I think people are on on the defensive and leaning back a little bit right now, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and continues.
0: Yeah, and listen, I mean, none of my listeners have to be convinced that I am as exasperated by Facebook as anyone. (laughs) Um, So again, I don't know how I ended up playing devil's advocate there. Um, One thing that I I wonder if. you could, uh, shifting gears a bit here, yeah. if you could give me some more, uh, information on, because this is really outside my realm of knowledge. And, and, and sometimes to me, things like, uh, you know, this new, um, exploit seems like every other exploit I've heard of, or this new, um, you know, virus seems like every, other, but this Triton thing. Mm, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you have any more, uh, if you could do a knowledge dump to sure. of any degree to me about Triton, because this one seems like the scariest thing I've heard in the realm of cybersecurity in a long time
1: um it has the potential to be very bad um, the folks that I've spoken to about it um, particularly um Robert M Lee over at Dragos they're a industrial control system security company um and and I think his message is yes this is serious but let's not panic oh. um this is certainly new this is something to be concerned about but uh you know it's not the end of the world um, what's happening with, uh, with Triton, and uh, some people also refer to it as Trisis, so if you're tracking this, you could see both of those names. Um, there was a petrochemical plant in Saudi Arabia, according to reports, that in the uh, summer of 2017, they were having a situation with some of their safety control systems were switching into fail-safe mode. And what that means is in these complex industrial systems where you have physical things happening, you have valves opening and closing and you have chemicals and liquids and things and steam and so on and so forth running through the plant, they're designed in such a way that if something goes wrong or if a system can't figure out what's going on, it goes into a safe mode it shuts the system down um, the whole point is to not have anything get worse or to cause loss of life or the release of dangerous chemicals it's, all that liter- kind of it's stuff.
0: literally a fail-safe
1: that's right yeah, that yeah. that is I mean it's funny when it, when this when this stuff uh, started coming out about this story I sort of connected the dots I'd use the term fail-safe as I think we all have but I'd never really connected it to the actual physical world that yeah this these are systems that are designed when they fail to be safe and that's what's going on here so um what they discovered was uh, in this petrochemical plant they were using um, a controller for some of their safety systems Uh, it's a system called triconics and it's made by a company called schneider electric they're a company out of france and um, bad guys had gotten into this safety controller and had managed to modify its firmware, which is really the the low-level controls of this actual piece of hardware, Um, and they were able to gain control of it. They were able to load software onto it. They were able to monitor what was going on with it. They were able to make it do the things they wanted to have it do and report the things they wanted to have it report. The danger of, of this is that This is a safety controller so if something goes wrong in the plant and the plant signals to the safety controller hey there's something wrong please shut down these systems well if bad guys have control of that safety controller they can report back to the people who are monitoring this hey everything's fine nothing's going wrong everything's good and meanwhile things down on the plant floor might be going horrifically wrong
0: well is it just that or is the idea here also that it could trigger something to go bad? Like, could it, could these systems also be used to, I don't know, uh, cycle up something like in the nuclear reactor sort of analogy or something like that to cause some sort of a catastrophe?
1: I think, yeah, I think theoretically that's within the realm of possibility. Anytime you have a piece of hardware like this that has access to the physical controllers in a plant, if someone has that type of control remotely, which is what Triton did, then you have the potential for um, sending rogue commands to those, but then also reporting to the monitoring systems, hiding those commands from the monitoring systems, which can sort of be a double whammy.
0: And then, um, if I remember correctly, the most recent story I did on this, where they, they saw it in action again, it seemed like whoever was behind it um wasn't actively trying to take control it was more like they they were they were burrowing in they were they were trying hard not to be observed but they were almost like trying to embed themselves so it's almost like sleeper cell like like once we know Mm -hmm. we're in here then we'll we'll just save this for when we need to use it
1: yeah yeah The, the term we use is battle space preparation there you go um they were and and they were trying to not get caught they they got caught because um Some of the software they put in there triggered um, and in these triconics uh, safety controllers have, I guess, a self auditing mode where they go in and they analyze themselves to make sure that nothing's changed. And the people who made this malware made a mistake. It got triggered and that set the safety controller into a fail safe mode, which is what caused the folks to take a closer look at it. Um, and evidently, this happened more than once before they realized that there was somebody in the system. I, I want to say they, the uh, the evidence uh, was that peop- that the bad guys were in this network since around 2014, um, mm. and folks are saying that it was. Um, some people are reporting that this was the Russians. Um, right. I was. That although, was going to be my next question. Like, who do yeah. we
0: think? is like is it a state actor it doesn't it doesn't feel like these are just random jerks from the dark web uh, playing no. yeah no because
1: there's 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 no money to be made here we're not stealing credit cards mm. i suppose you could say there's there ransom, could be a ransom yeah yeah, yeah there could be a ransom you know g- give us all your money or we'll blow up the plant um, but that doesn't seem to be what's going on here. So, with the sophistication that they've seen, um, I believe they discovered some Cyrillic characters within the code. It, it's hard to know for sure because anybody can put Cyrillic characters right. in code, right? That's so what you
0: would do to cover your tracks, right? Yeah.
1: Right. It's exactly what they'd be expecting us to do, right? Yeah. So. Um, uh but that that's the most recent reporting that i've seen is that people seem to have a fair amount of confidence that uh that this was the russians and they're just trying to get in there so they have these capabilities if somewhere along the lines they feel as though they might need them
0: lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach it's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath And on the app, it lets you know if you're burning fat or carbs and gives you tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. All you have to do is breathe into your Lumen first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fats or carbs. Then, Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals. So you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time. And Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. My wife and I are currently on parallel get healthier, get thinner regimens and have found Lumen incredibly useful as a guide because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does. Optimal metabolic health translates into a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, better fitness results, better sleep, etc. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to Lumen.me and use Ride to get $100 off your Lumen. That's L U M E N com M E and use Ride at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mac Weldon clothing. t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from MAC Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. All right, shifting gears radically again. Um, <laughs> okay. One of the other stories that I've done um, a couple times in the last few months um, from the security realm has been these these mega dumps from from the previous uh, uh, I don't know I guess it was the Yahoo one uh, but essentially yeah. there's there's a couple of huge caches out there now that there are literally hundreds of millions of people's credentials out there so right. essentially basically all of us have some account uh, or credentials somewhere that were compromised, even if it was your, your MySpace from 2006 yep. or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Odds are you're in one of those. And of course, uh, the Have I Been Pwned database is a mm-hmm. great place to check that out, Troy Hunt's database.
0: So you turned me on to this uh, great article that I hope I remember to put in the show notes. Um, <laughs> but this is actually, again, this is a wild shift of what we're, what we're actually considering here. But this has actually been a boon for analyzing the psychology of how people pick passwords and things right. like that, um, so again, there's this article um, that'll be in the show notes of, of, about looking at this and using this corpus of data to analyze. And and uh, we're just gonna—I'm actually just gonna go down some of the things that I found interesting. So we yeah. all know that obviously there's like 30 passwords that account for like a fourth of all the dumb passwords people use. You know, going from one two three four to yep. one 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 to all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you know. I, I guess I, I would have known this, but I'd never seen this written out before. Like, a, like if you're a hacker, if you just guess using the top 10 passwords, you're going to be successful something like 16 out of 1,000 times. Right. So it's right. super easy to have decent results just, just by relying on people's stupidity.
1: Right, and there are tools available that take advantage of these things. So you can you can hammer away at someone's password, and the first place that this tool starts is with all of the established, well known, easy to crack passwords.
0: Right, and then like you can within I don't know nine seconds if you just run through everything you can you can see oh I, I had a hundred thousand people and I got uh, six thousand out of that a hundred thousand or whatever you know yeah um, so. The thing though is that I found fascinating was even when people try to get a little more sophisticated, um, there's always patterns that are easily exploitable as well. So mm-hmm. starting with, okay, I can't use you know whatever, i'll I'll use whatever, but then I'll add a, a number to it. But then most people only add one digit. So that's really right. easy, <laughs> right? Get. Well, and,
1: and because a lot of times you'll you'll go to create a password, and the organization yes. will say there must be a digit. And what this st- study found is that twenty three percent of people simply add a one to the end mm. of their password.
0: Mm. And then a, a, a patterns in a different way. So, you know, one of the most common um, passwords is QWERTY, you know, Q W E R T right. Y. But then there's a ton of passwords where if you look at them on paper, they look like, well, that's a random string of whatever. But then if you look at a keyboard or whatever, it's really not. So you're, you're not really being a genius if you do G Y H U J I K O L because all you've done is gone up and down on a QWERTY keyboard and probably a bunch of other people have done that same pattern.
1: Right. Right. And that pattern's gonna be in the hit list for the cracking software. Right. And then
0: sure. it's going to evolve because now people are having to create passwords on touch devices. But then again, so the pattern the the, the patterns will just change, but then, you know, if you're think like imagine holding up a phone and having you know, um, the, the number pad or whatever. And so then a bit people will start doing an X and then that'll look like a random string, but it's really just doing an X on mm-hmm. you know, the number pad and things like that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I think that the take home for me out of this, Article And and I think this is really interesting research. I recommend people check it out. um, Is that no matter how clever you think you are with your password routine, and we've all established password, password routines for ourselves over the years, no matter how clever you think you are, you're not. You are not clever. Someone else is. They figured it out. You're not the first person to do it. You're not the last. The best way to handle this is to use a password manager and have it generate random strings for you.
0: Right. And there was that one. They also got into like the passwords. You know, famous people use. And so, like, there was the some uh, Huffington Post editor or something that you know clearly an X Files fan did trust no one. Well, of course, how many (laughs) other people that were of you know the era of X Files. Uh, did trust no one but then they were clever because the I think the oh the O was a was a zero and the one was the number one. But again yep. <laughs> right? it's yeah. the, the same sort of easy pattern. Okay, yeah. real quick. I loved these two little bits of, of these little nuggets here. Um, people who use first names or their names and their year of birth mm-hmm. in their addresses tend to skew toward men but also people born in the eighties. <laughs> I don't. I don't think the article had any reason for that. But uh, well,
1: yeah, I don't know. Being a child of the eighties, yeah. uh, and and seeing that um, uh, David was one of the the top ones in there, I noticed Brian is not in there. So mm. I I guess you're uh, I guess you're out of the woods there. Uh, I don't know. we you know we're we're kids of the eighties. Uh, that self-absorbed and. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I suppose I, I can't deny it, but uh, it's an interesting little side note they made there.
0: Well, I was even wondering if it's... Because then, again, it's skewed more towards men. Is that like some sort of a weird male ego thing? It's like, you know, this yeah. is my year, this is my era, man, or something like right. that. But then, because then the other interesting thing that I made note of was, like, the, the gender differences are, are probably legion. Like, in, in one of the uh, sets of data, like, women are twice as likely to have the word love contained in their passwords than men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is which is funny, but then that again, that comes back to patterns because like like they said in the research, you you could looking at the data, you could create these pools and then just based on passwords, you could be like, well, this set of passwords is likely female users likely of this age range, maybe even likely of this geographic region, that sort of thing.
1: right. Right. So even just simply based on your password, they can infer a bunch of things about you.
0: It's ironic that the thing that is supposed to be um, masking your identity and providing you privacy is like anything else in this crazy data world. Um, <laughs> it's just another data point that, that can unmask you, really. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's an amazing time to be alive, Brian, isn't it?
0: <laughs> well, so two quick questions. You said, of yeah. course, Password Manager is the is the only... Viable option, but then it's only really useful if you do use the random password generator. Yes. And then. Yes.
1: Well, the, the other thing, I mean, the, the other thing that a password manager does is it keeps tabs on you as to whether you're reusing passwords. Right. And then. Right. And it'll then, say, uh, uh, uh.
0: Well, and the point is, is that. If you're if you're going to use a password manager, at the very least use the random password generator, and at the very right. least make each one different, because that's the whole point of this. It's like how yep. ships have those hulls, and ships are created so that if something gets compromised, the whole ship doesn't go down, and that's the right. whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then uh, yeah, go ahead. Well,
1: I, I was going to say, and then and also, if something's important to you, use multi-factor authentication.
0: Right. Um, how do you feel about the the um, the actual physical keys?
1: Uh, I like them. Yeah. I like them. It's something we, we use them here at CyberWire um, for some of our important things. Um, they, the, the, with a password manager, with the keys like that, the initial resistance is how much is this going to slow me down? How much of a pain is this going to be? And I'll say having gone through the transitions to both a password manager and a physical key, it's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. And the amount of security you gain from them, worth it. So, uh, I, I recommend them.
0: And then using the actual authenticator apps like uh, Authy and, and yep. Gmail or, or Google have is superior to SMS. Correct. Even though, even though SMS, it's, it's, it's like a, 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 a layered, this is better than nothing, this is better than that, this is better. So, right. SMS is, is good, better than yep. nothing.
1: Be- much better than nothing.
0: But it's still not perfect.
1: Correct, and the, the little uh, authentication apps are even better.
0: And and the reason for them being better is because, in theory, my SMS can be intercepted.
1: Correct. Okay. If someone wanted to bad enough, they could spoof your SMS, uh, and they could uh, get the organization to send them that code, and, and off
0: they go. Uh, very last question, then. Um, yeah. I have been told recently that... Um, you don't necessarily have to do uppercase, lowercase, numbers, letters, um, uh, random character. That actually you can do st- like three random letters separated by dashes. Um, and that's better, I was told, because it it uh, encourages you... To have greater entropy, so that you'll have a password that's actually twenty characters long. Is that correct, correct. or have I been misinformed? No, I
1: think I think that's right on. Uh, entropy is the thing, and and this article talks about entropy and, and how they track it. Um, I, I would say when with, with passwords longer is better. So stringing together a random series of words uh, that you could remember is better than a short a single word and a series of numbers. The longer that password is, the more time it's gonna take for someone to try to crack it and the more likely they are to move on to the person who has the easier password than you.
0: Is it still true that if it's truly random and it's uh, long enough, has enough entropy, that all of the computers in all of the world would still take a thousand years and still in theory not be able to crack it? Is that still true? Does the math still win out in the end right now?
1: As far as I know, it does. Um, when we get to some of these uh, cryptographic routines, um, some of the experts I've talked to have said that you start bumping up against the laws of physics, where mm. uh, you know the, the amount of energy available in the universe starts to become a factor. Um, if things are gonna change, there's a lot of fear, or fear is probably not the right word for it. Um, well, some people are afraid about uh, quantum computers coming online because they're gonna be able to crack a lot of the encryption that we rely on these days um that makes the web work um but it, it, we joke that um quantum computers it might be a, a lot like um fusion energy where it's always 20 years away no right. matter when you ask so or we'll a, see
0: or ai in theory or yeah yeah, um, <laughs> yeah well let's the... let me this will be a really weird way to end but um okay. one of my obsessions is with the the fermi paradox i don't know if you're familiar with that Yes, it's, uh-huh. it's basically the question of uh, how come we haven't met aliens yet? <laughs> if right. The universe is so large and so old. Yeah, and, and one of the theories has to do with computing, where once a, once a civilization gets big enough, and once the computing resources get like you have an, an overheating problem, like you're talking about. Uh, like there's just. It, it's too much, like, and, and that's why you would build dyson spheres and things like that. But one of the right. theories is is that once you get that advanced, you have to go out into the very edges of space where it's super, super cold. otherwise your computers stop functioning. <laughs> huh? And that's so and so that's one of the theories for why we've never met aliens. Yes, aliens got super sophisticated 2 billion years ago, but to keep their computers running, they had to all migrate out to the coldest recesses of space and basically that's why we're we don't see them cuz we're still here where it's hot. Oh, that's interesting. I my
1: I would say well, until you told me that, uh my favorite uh answer to the Fermi paradox is just that the distances are so great that unless someone comes up with faster than light travel, it's just impractical to have any sort of Communication. Ah, now,
0: see, we could do an entire another uh, episode about this because <laughs> if you do one of those, um, what is it? What do you call the probes? Where if you just send a probe out and it takes a thousand years to get to the next star system, and then you take a hundred years just to um, gather the resources to send out another probe, the the laws of exponential growth say that it would only take you approximately two hundred thousand years to basically colonize the entire milky way so hmm. again even though the distances are part of the problem with the fermi paradox the immense lengths of time that the universe has existed is also the problem because given that the entire we sh- we, we shouldn't be alone we should be like you know in the middle of like a, a huge metropolis at this point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, well, Brian,
1: who 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 says we're not? Get your heads true. out of the sand, sheeple. Yes, well, that's because we're <laughs> we're in the the, the the favorite
0: favorite one is we are in a um um what am I why can't I think of it? We're in a simulation, and that's why. Yes, so there you go. Yes, uh, I'll
1: tell you, Ben. Some days, ooh.
0: <laughs> it certainly feels like it. All right, yeah. Uh, we we got we got off the rails there, but in a fun way in the end. Thank you, Dave. Yeah,
1: my pleasure, my pleasure. Great talking to you.